0: Good morning. Welcome. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along as we dig back into first Peter chapter two. So if you don't have a Bible with you, just put your hand up and our ushers have got some Bibles with them right now and you can use one of those. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles right now and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the Bible that you receive Keep that as our gift to you and dig into it with us again this morning. It is um, good to be back up here and preaching again. Uh, Seems kind of weird. I'm a little out of sorts having been here but not preaching for the last two Sundays. I really, really appreciated it. I got a lot of golfing in. Uh, (laughs) Nope, not even close. And actually I I want to tell you just a few of the things that I've been working on over the last couple of weeks because it is always interesting to get people's feedback and to, to hear, uh, especially for those who believe that this is all I do, is just preach once a week and basically I work Sundays and that's it. Um, it's been a lot of fun to get, uh, number one, caught up on the stack on my desk, which was ridiculous, um, and get through some of the things that I really wanted to give my attention to for quite some time. The timing was perfect um, because, as you know, it's spring, which leads to summer, and summer is wedding season. And uh, I am currently doing premarital preparation stuff for four couples at the same time, and uh, that is not an easy thing to do. It is really fun. Um, it is really enjoyable. But this last the last couple of weeks gave me a chance to really set a path for each of these couples and figure out um, what we need to work on because I don't just do one uniform thing for everybody. I like to to work. With each couple individually and look at their strengths and their growth areas and all that kind of stuff and get them well prepared for what lies ahead. And uh, I would just ask that, that you as a congregation pray for those things. Pray for the weddings coming up uh, this summer. Those four are not the only ones. There's, I believe, nine that I have on my radar now for this summer um, that are somehow connected to this church. Um, be praying for those couples. Be praying for our marriages in this church. This is a big deal, especially as we continue to see uh, an increase in the rate of divorce, even among Christians. It's hard. It's difficult to watch that. It's hard to watch people throw away this, this thing called marriage where God reveals himself and his relationship with us, the ones that he's created. It's such an important thing. So pray as I talk to these couples about that covenant love that God has for us that he wants us to express to each other and uh, what it means to truly build your marriage on the foundation of agape love and and build up from there and all those things. Be in prayer for the marriages in this church, the ones that are just starting out and the ones that have been going on for a long time. Um, We need those prayers for each other, don't we? Be praying. Be praying for our marriages um, I've been working on uh, the the message for Saturday. The men's steak sizzle is, is just six days away, and I'm excited about that. Guys, I'm excited about the opportunity to just sit down with you, and we're going to talk about where we're at and some of the stuff that we face in life and, and how God has uniquely created us as men and how that all ties together. And and this is not going to be a beat you up and make you feel bad because you're not doing better kind of message. Um, This is intended to be really encouraging and really strengthening. It's stuff that I have to go back to time and time again. So be praying for Saturday in the gathering with the men. Um, I also had a chance to do some preparation for a class that I've started on Sunday mornings at nine for our high school students doing a student leadership class and talking to them what, about what it means to lead in a world of followers and all that comes with that and I enjoy getting back into that going back to my youth pastor days and and being able to to share this time with those high schoolers and they've been talking about the influences in their lives and then the things that influence them how they can influence those things and those people as well and i I'm thrilled with the the stuff that's that's coming out from them. So it has been uh, quite a journey. If I back up a a couple of months here now, um, looking at where we've been and all the different things that we've covered, uh, the two months that we spent looking at house fires, looking at our neighborhoods, looking at uh, the Jerusalem mandate that Jesus gave and how we've identified our neighborhoods as our Jerusalem, our workplaces, those who are closest to us, and all of the building and strengthening that came through that um so let me ask you this how are your neighbors how are your neighbors they came out of hibernation didn't they it's time and now we're seeing them we're like oh yeah new things happen right we emerged with a dog and that was new and there are all these things going on how are your neighbors have you taken advantage of the fact that they have emerged and it's time to begin communities firing up again in your neighborhood because the weather's beautiful what are you doing what are you doing? How are you engaging in a new way with your neighbors, with your neighborhood? What's going to happen this summer? Do you have any kind of vision for where you're going with this? To so take the things that we studied for a couple months and put those into practice this summer. What are you going to do? Have you come together as a family? Are you praying for your neighborhood? Are you praying for specific individuals? Are you reaching out and getting to know some, some people that you didn't know very well before? Are you learning to love them? What are you doing? What is your plan? Don't let that go. It was intended to lead you to this point so that your love in your neighborhood will grow. The light will shine brighter, and what God wants to do there will just explode into your neighborhood, and He'll use you in great ways. Don't let that go. Fresh start this summer, do something new. Fulfill what God's called you to do and to be in your neighborhood. Are you looking for him there? Are you praying? Are you listening? Are you trying to figure out, God, what's next for me in this neighborhood? Don't forget who you are. Then we came up to Easter and, and I got excited. Someone asked me if I drank a lot of coffee on Easter morning. Uh, I get excited about these things. I just do. We had this place full of people and it was just a beautiful experience. That whole weekend was great. Friday night with those cards and the cross and all that to be able to, to man, I sat down afterwards and I just went through those cards. And, and I was blown away with what God is doing in this church family. With how God has taken so many of you from here to there. You were this, but then God came in and he did this. To hear those stories in just a short little way through those cards was fantastic. Thank you for that. And thank you for praying for our Easter season. It It was worth every ounce of energy that we put into it. So then I was about ready to collapse and Peter in his wisdom came to me a couple weeks earlier and he's like, why don't you let me preach the Sunday after Easter? <laughs> Twist my arm, Peter. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to put that on him or anybody else. I'm like, no, I know we're all exhausted. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll keep going. And so he came up here and, <clears throat> and very appropriately laid down on a bed <laughs> to start things off. But I love the image that he portrayed through that. Did you get it? Did you catch it? This idea that Peter has written, not that Peter, the other Peter, has written to us about our identity in the first chapter and a half of First Peter. And he's told us who we are and he's told us all these beautiful, amazing truths about who we are. And we could very easily just move on to life as usual and, and tuck that away for some reason. But I love what what our Peter, this is so confusing. I love what our Peter did up here on the bed and just that reality that, okay, in light of the monumental truths about who we are, how does it affect you? How do you wake up in this era, in this morning, in this new chapter of your life, knowing that this is who you are, how then do you live? What do you do with that? It's new. When we hear God speak to us about who we are, it brings a sense of refreshment, doesn't it? A newness. There's some life there. He breathes that back into us, and we go from there into what? Hopefully something new. A some, uh, new level of faith and trust that, that God's working a new level of understanding. A new level of confidence that, that God is sufficient for whatever we're facing. Because this is who we are. And I love how he brought that to us. Our identity and how that moves moves us into our purpose. Then of course David Pierce came here last week and punched us in the face with some great truth. And I, and I love that he does that for us. I just absolutely love it. And he gets so nervous about it. He's like, did I, afterwards, did I go too far? Did I was I too harsh? I'm like, nope. No, let her rip. Because you're not going to be here next week. I'll deal with it. <laughs> you say things that I might back away from saying on a weekly basis. So that I don't have everyone leave the church. <laughs> I, I love the message that he brought. There was so much strength to that. And, and I want to talk in a little while about just how well it fits in with exactly where we're at in the study of First Peter. Uh, and it's not, we didn't predict this. We didn't script this. It just happened, and I love that it happened. So for the next little while, we're going to sit on a, a command. It's a two-word command, and you may be able to guess what the two-word command is. <laughs> you may not have missed it. Honor everyone. Get it? <laughs> we're going to talk about that for a while. We're going to start examining this command by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So turn there now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. We're going to study together these verses for a while. I can't tell you how long. I'm not that predictable. But before we do, we're going to back up and look at verse 11 again. Um, and and this is, I was reminded as I was doing that, so I went back and read verse 11 again and went, oh, oh, there's one more thing that I want to say. And I was reminded of a childhood memory, um, that, that, came to me as I did that. When I was a little kid, um, we lived in, in Vancouver in, uh, uh, and, and my dad started a church there and, uh, we lived on the property of the church. And he started this church out in farm country. And so we were out of the city. We were in farmland where kind of the residential area was starting to overtake all that. There's no farmland left there anymore now. And that's what this church was about. Plant it here. And as the, the city expands, there's a church there waiting for them. It was a great model. And so we're out in farmland. We lived right across the street from a farm. And, um, and we just, we worked on this church. I helped as a little kid, I helped my dad literally build a church. It was fun. It was just a great time for, for me and my dad. And, um, what we would do is Sunday afternoons, this was just our tradition there. Um, we would go out just me and my dad and we'd go do something together. Um, across the street from us was a big farm. And on the back side of the property of that farm was a golf course. And it was this exclusive private club. It was a beautiful course. But this family across from us, the Wright family, they owned the property around the golf course. And so my dad had gotten to know the farmer and uh, asked if it would be all right if on Sunday afternoons, um, he and I could just go for a walk in the farmer's field around the golf course. And he said, yeah, go ahead. He thought we were pretty weird. Um, this is what my dad's purpose was, to find golf balls. And so he and I went out every Sunday afternoon into this farm and we walked around the outside of this golf course finding golf balls. And I loved it because my dad had a purpose in mind. He would collect them, clean them up. He would take uh, egg crates and reuse them. He'd fill them with golf balls and Every year there was this fundraiser for a charity that we were a part of and every year my dad would bring egg cartons dozen golf balls each to the fundraiser and fill literally tables full of egg cartons full of golf balls sell them for like five bucks a dozen or something like this and all of that all that money would go straight to the charity. So my dad had a purpose, um, uh, two purposes probably. One was it's Sunday afternoon and you got nothing left. So go out and be by yourself in a farmer's field somewhere because that's a good healthy thing to do. And he dragged me along and um, it was fun to watch this, this interaction between me and my dad because we'd get to an area near a hole, uh, near a green where the balls would have gone out of bounds into this farmer's field. And we'd get there and I'd be looking around all eager like a little kid and I'd, I'd find one and I'd get super excited. And then I find another one and I'd be like, dad, I found two golf balls. Let's go. Let's move on to the next hole. And then I go, dad, how many did you find? He's like, well, I'm up to 17. And then he'd be like, but we're not done. We're not done. There's, there's, I'm sure there's one more golf ball here. And that's the way my dad views scripture as well. It's pretty interesting. He won't, that's where I got it from. It's not my fault. Uh, He views scripture that way. There's always one more thing that we can pull out of a passage. No matter how many times we've looked at it, no matter how many times we've studied it, there's always that one more thing. And so here's the one more thing this morning. And here's why I want us to back up to verse 11 again, before we look at verses 12 through 17. Verse 11, Peter writes this. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And here sandwiched between Peter's description of our identity and his instruction on how we live out that identity is this warning. He identifies an obstacle to our mission. And if this obstacle isn't dealt with, the mission blows up. Nothing happens. And this is where I felt like David's message last week fit perfectly because we're right there. We were right on verse 11 and David came and talked to us about the passions of the flesh. The passion of the flesh he talked about was what? Pleasure. Pleasure. He talked about the pleasure gospel. And how we get so obsessed with that, we get so obsessed with our own pleasure, with doing things that are enjoyable for us, that we have nothing left for the mission that God's given us. And I deeply appreciate that he brought that to us. All right, on to verses 12 through 17. 1 Peter 2, verses 12 through 17. This is what Peter writes. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There is so much in here for us that we're going to dig into. And note this, this passage is bookended with the concept of Of honor. In verse 12, we're instructed to live honorable lives. Conduct yourselves honorably in the world around you, among the people around you. And then in verse 17, we're instructed to honor everyone. And we'll talk about that at the end of today's message. Let's start breaking this down. Look at verse 12. Peter writes, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And Peter took us through this a bit a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to go in and add a little more context to this. Um, there are some words that I want to focus on right now. The first one is conduct. Keep your conduct Honorable. What does he mean by conduct? It does mean behavior, but it's broader than that. It's your lifestyle. That's what this word is trying to communicate. Keep your lifestyle honorable. It's bigger than just how you react in certain circumstances. It's bigger than how you behave on Sunday. It's bigger than following the rules in your work setting or, or some other setting. This is broader. This has to do with your lifestyle. Your lifestyle. Our whole lives. So he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Okay. He's focusing in specifically on those who are outside, currently outside of God's kingdom, God's family. And so don't try to identify the people around you. Go, I wonder if that's a Gentile or not. Anybody who is outside of God's family, he's saying specifically, and he does talk about the church family as well. We've done some of that already. There's more to come, but right now he's focusing on those who are outside of God's kingdom. Be intentional about this. Be intentional about this. Your lifestyle should impact those who are outside of God's kingdom for now. So then he says, uh, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Honorable. And, and the best way to define that word that's used there is beautiful to look at. Beautiful to look at. So I want you to look at your own lives right now. Is your lifestyle Beautiful to look at for somebody outside of God's kingdom. It's a tall order, isn't it? And this isn't isn't circumstantial. This is not, have you got everything together? Are you up to date on the latest styles? Do you present yourself well in terms of your circumstances? Are you leading a trouble-free life? That's not what this is about. It's not what Peter's talking about. Is your lifestyle... Beautiful to look at for those who are outside of God's kingdom. Think that through a little bit. Dwell on that a little bit. Because this takes us back to something that we looked at over, over Easter. Is your story beautiful to look at? And brothers and sisters in Christ, yes it is. As long as you don't make your story about you Is the story that God has brought into your life, is it beautiful to look at? How does that translate in your lifestyle? How does it beautify your lifestyle? And we've talked a lot about our position in Christ. We've talked about our purpose. We've talked about our perspective in the middle and how that brings the two together. Is this what people are seeing? Do they see who you are and do they see that identity being lived out in your purpose in life? Is your lifestyle beautiful to look at? Then Peter writes, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, what does he mean? Evildoers. Why is he using such strong language in here? Well, here's the reality. And always we have to go back to the context. What was happening when Peter wrote this letter? Who was he writing it to? He was writing it to the church that had been scattered all over the area that we now know of as Turkey. They're all over the place. Some had been pushed there. Some had returned there after encountering Christ. Um, All of this was going on and and Peter's talking to them because they're in a very difficult position. There was a lot going on in their lives and their reputation as followers of Christ. This brand new thing that was exploding all over their reputation was very negative in the eyes of the Romans, in the eyes of the Gentiles. They looked at followers of Christ and they pointed fingers at the followers of Christ as evildoers. Why? Why? Well, clearly this was a rebellious group. They did not follow the philosophy of Rome. They were now following the philosophy of Christ and his kingdom, which was so radically different from Rome. And so they looked at them and went, evildoers, they're evildoers. What else? They looked at them and they thought, they're subversive. All this is going on. We know that this is an attempt somehow to overthrow the Roman government and the powers that be. And so they're subversive. And that came along. They're threatening what's going on here, the Romans thought. So they looked at them as evildoers. They're wrong. What they're doing is wrong. The the slavery issue came up. Followers of Christ were opposed to slavery. That was coming out. And that was absolutely opposite to what the Romans thought. There were little things like that. And then on a a big scale, in in a very interesting way, the, the Romans viewed followers of Christ as atheists. Because they did not worship the Roman emperor. Because they did not worship the Roman gods. So they were the atheists. And so they had this really interesting reputation. And and how do they overcome this reputation? What does Peter say? He talks about good deeds. And how that's going to counter the reputation that they had. He talked about their lifestyle. He talked about honorable lifestyles. And how that was going to impact those who looked at them and went, They're the evildoers. And it's this amazing picture. Out of it comes this message for us. Church, occupy yourselves with things that define a life that is beautiful to look at. God's going to use that. He is using that. and He's going to use that for us as a church, for us as individuals. When people look at our lives, what are they seeing? And I'm, again, not do we put on the best face? Do we have it all together? But he is talking about things like peace that transcends everything. Hope, joy, love, perseverance, compassion, faith. These are things that are beautiful. Look at the things of Christ. So that we receive the praise of those people. No. So that our lives awaken the image of God and the people around us and draw them to God. And God gets the glory, not us. Just a couple of good perspectives on this, kind of good defense and good offense. Peter said, abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's good defense. Don't let the things of this world overtake you. Protect yourself. Protect your lifestyle from those things. Protect your heart. Protect your mind. That's good defense. And then Peter says, keep your conduct honorable. Let them see your good deeds. That's good offense. Get out there and display God's glory through the way that you live your lives. This is the beginning of our look at living honorable lives. Then in verse 13 and 14 is what Peter writes. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Or to to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Um, How timely is this in this day and age right now. Kind of a political climate right now, isn't there? That said, I'm not going to talk about this this week. (laughs) You're going to have to wait. This is far too big for me to fit into this message this week. Next week, we're going to start looking at this because this is so critical. This is so important. How do we take what Peter has written and apply it to our current culture, our current environment right now? So come back next week, okay? We'll get into this. Um, And I'm going to hit... A general principle in a little bit here that, that applies to all of this. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is one of those verses, and there are three of them in this passage, that identify the why behind what Peter is writing here. Why do we live honorable lives? We do it for God's sake says in verse 13 for the Lord's sake that's clear then in verse 15 Peter says for this is the will of God his plan his purpose and then in verse 16 we're instructed to live as servants of God this is all for him we're not doing this to be religious we're not doing this just to be obedient we're doing this for God's sake it's his will and we're his servants Remember Peter stating that, among other things, we are a people of his own possession. That's who we are. What we do, we do for him. Secondarily, our conduct is going to silence our critics. Primarily, we live honorable lives for God's sake, for our father's sake, for our king's sake. Verse 16, live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And he's going to write a lot in verses 18 to 24 to servants. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, also too big for today. How relevant is this? Well, you're not a slave, right? But how many of you work for somebody else? This is our reality. And Peter's going to write about some things that are critical to that reality. We're people who are free. You and I are free in Christ. What does that mean in the context of our workplaces? Peter has written to slaves about being people who are free. And he's written to people who are free about being servants of God. We've got to dig into that for a little while. Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In verses 12 through 17, what is Peter instructing us to do? Live honorably. Honor everyone. How is Peter instructing us to do that? Be subject to every human institution. Do good. Live as people who are free. Serve God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Why is Peter instructing us to live lives like this? Because it's God's will. Because we do this for his sake. And because we're his servants. Today's passage started and ended with the concept of honor. So that's what I want to end with today is talking about the concept of honor. What is the meaning of honor? Truly, from a biblical perspective, what is the meaning of honor? If you look at our cultural perspective, and and as I've just kind of reflected on this, we see this in different settings around us. We see us honoring people. And typically, it's a banquet, right? With some sort of award, we're going to honor somebody for what they've done. We, we practice honoring our elders for what they've passed on to us. We honor them. We honor the military for the way they lay down their lives for this country on a daily basis. We honor them for their service. And I love that. I love going to a, to a game, to a Minnesota Wild game or something. And there's, there's another one that we're honoring. And the place goes crazy and people get behind that. And we honor them. And all of that is good. Very good. But it's not complete. It's not complete when it comes to a biblical perspective on honor. It's part of it, definitely. But it's not all of it. And I want to broaden that this morning and talk a little bit about what that really means to honor. I think God's vision of honor is bigger than ours. And it's worth digging into. It's worth exploring. And I am surprised at how important this has become in my thinking so what I want to do this morning is I want to work with you with a graphic that I'm going to put up here, and we're going to talk through this a little bit because I want you to understand this. So when it comes to us honoring people, okay, honoring the people in our lives, this is, this is how I want us to view this for a second. And don't get wrapped up on, I realized this just this morning when I looked at it, don't get wrapped up on this as like steps. It's, it can be a progression, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in that order. So don't get hung up on that, all right? Um, this is when we meet somebody, this is typically, I think what happens with us. This is what we do. We see something about that person. We see their identity and it can be as general as this is someone who's married, just like me. This is someone who's a parent, just like me. Who are these people from a very surface level? What is their identity? And based on that, we make a decision. We honor or we judge. Because if they don't fit kind of the identity that I'm comfortable with, if they're outside of my framework, I might judge them as somebody that's not really worth putting my effort into. So we we come to this fork and we honor or we judge. And it may not be really extreme, I didn't say condemn, but we make a decision about people. And then maybe we come to, to understanding a little bit more about who they are on a little deeper level. What are their values? What's important to them? What do we hear about them? What do we see them post on Facebook? What is it that we see that represents their values? And if their values line up with our values, we honor them, don't we? But if they don't, we tend to judge. And maybe write them off and go, they are not like me. And their value drops. Or maybe we we get to see somebody up close. We get to see their behavior. We get to see how they act in different circumstances. Does their behavior reflect something that we support? Or does it not? And at that point, as we see that behavior lived out, we either honor them for what we decide is good behavior, or we judge and their value in our eyes drops. In my life and in many of our lives, I think we, we assign people value based on these things. Based on s- some superficial things like kind of their general identity. Based on some values things that we see or hear from them. Or based on their behavior. We assign people value, and it might be a lot of value if all those things line up with us, and it might be a very low value if they don't. But we've find, we find ourselves there. And so this is, this is not a biblical perspective on honor. And so when we think about honoring somebody in a banquet, we're going to honor our seniors at the senior banquet, right? Based on their accomplishments, that's not the full picture of biblical honor. This word honor means to fix value. To fix value. Honoring someone means fixing value to them. So based on the biblical definition of honor, here's what I think really does need to happen. Give me the next diagram. Back at the very beginning... God created Adam and Eve. What did he say about them? They are good. He created Adam, he said. This is good. At that point, when God created Adam and Eve in his image, God assigned value to them. And, brothers and sisters, we are image bearers, are we not? And whose image do we bear? God's image. And if God created humans and assigned them the value of good right off the bat, then what should we do? The same thing. Every single person around you was created in the image of God. And when God looks at them, they have tremendous value to him. Because they were created by him in his image. And he does not go on this little journey with them and say, okay, let's see how this works out. And the first time they screw up, he strips their value. He doesn't do that. Why do we? Because we're still fighting the sinful nature in us, aren't we? We fight it every day. And this is an area where we've got to overcome it. No matter who we meet, no matter what we see of them, the value that we assign them should be done at the, at the start, right off the bat. Here's your value. I assign you value. And it's the same value that God assigned them when he created them in his image. Is there another option? Should we look at this a different way? Did God create us to, to decide what value they have? Of course not. As people who are created in the image of God, you and I can reflect his image by assigning people, fixing the value on them. The same value that God has fixed on them. Let me give you some examples because right now I know many minds in this room are going to accept that guy. Okay? Let's do an accept that guy exercise. Let's look in the Bible. Let's look in the New Testament. Accept Paul. Because he was persecuting Christians. He was throwing them in prison. They were being killed because of Paul's leadership. He was a bad man. He stood there and watched Stephen be stoned to death. And he nodded in approval. And so God stripped Paul of all his value. No. What did God see in Paul? Paul. We saw the, th- the same thing that we ought to see in every single person that we meet. No matter their identity, no matter their values, no matter their behavior. Because Paul had all those messed up, didn't he? Let's look at Peter. How could Jesus stand in front of Peter after, ha- after Peter had denied even knowing him three times? How could he stand in front of Peter and have the same value fixed to Peter that he did when he created him? Moses killed the guy and buried him in the desert. David, adultery, murder. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And not once did God just strip those people of their value. He always sees his image. Always. And that's the value that God fixes to every human being that he creates. Even me. And that blows my mind. Because my value in God's eyes doesn't wax and wane. It didn't go down when I just ignored his existence. It didn't go down when I chickened out and didn't acknowledge him before men. It was a fixed value. Praise God he still sees me that way. And he still sees you that way. Now how do we see the people around us? That's what it means to honor somebody. Those in positions of authority, honor them. Those that we're in relationship with, no matter how messed up that relationship might be, honor them. Those who mistreat us and treat us like we have no value, honor them. Those who are different from you, honor them. Those who rub you the wrong way, honor them. Your neighbor, your coworker, everyone. Honor everyone. This is the message that Peter's trying to get across to us. I'm starting to hear it. I hope you are too. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now, and the worship team as well, as we close the service. Let's pray together as they come. Father, we have a lot to be thankful for this morning. How could you be so faithful to us? How is it that you still see your image in us? And that you still have, you still see the same value in us as if we had never sinned. God, thank you for never changing that perspective on us. Thank you for seeing me at my best and at my absolute worst. And not adding value or taking it away, playing that game like we do with each other. But fixing a value on us, infinite value. And always seeing it. So, God, you've got to teach us this. God, wake up your image in us. That's something that we want to reflect. Will you do that in us? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. For your patience with us. For your instruction to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.